Father, that you would bless the scriptures that are shared. To those that have an ear, let them hear. Open their spiritual eyes. Open their spiritual hearing. Draw them closer, Father God. Those that seek the truth. Strength and uprightness. Courage to my brothers and sisters in, the, in your word, Father God. For those that are unsure that you draw them close. Draw them in. And feed them the truth, Father God. Your truth, knowledge and wisdom. And that I am a conduit for your word, Father. Abba Yahweh Abba. Esu Abba. Parakuta Saba. So my heart is troubled. Very troubled. I have an acquaintance. And um, being aware of the difficulties that are happening in the household and trying to put things and keep things together so that uh, the horses that they keep are not uh, are not having to be given away and and uh, it's, it's a hard thing because uh, this person cares for them greatly trains and shows and rides but um, the difficulty that's going on in this country and is making it very difficult but listening to some of the musings that are going on with the issues are um, it hurts not to be able to just um, fix everything but here's the thing, we cannot fix everything. God, faith in God, prayer can fix everything, everything, everything. I stay in prayer on my going out, my coming in every day, every day, every day. I don't have what I used to have, so I can't just monetarily cover things. God provides what I need, and that is what I have, is prayer, sharing the word, testimony, testifying, and for some, it just, um, I think the most hurtful thing about that is the, uh, I'm trying to share, and then the scoffing. <sighs> However, I do not give up prayer. And I don't give this person up. I won't give this person up. And keep praying to draw in. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes God is, um, will take you right as, um, 
as the old term used to call it, to the bitter end. And right at the very end, when you just is done, done, done. Okay, God, you win. <laughs> He's going to win anyway. But you have to understand that it's always much easier with God than without God. You just have to understand that he's always with us. He will be with us, stay with us, guiding and holding us upright so that we don't just utterly collapse. And he promises that. And when you don't see that happening, it's because you're not watching, you're not paying attention, and you're not looking toward God. Looking toward yourself for an answer. Or looking for others of mammon for an answer. And that can't be found in mammon. And looking to mammon for only what God can provide is definitely a mistake. A mistake. And you remember that Jesus was teaching the disciples. And he shared with them that it doesn't do any good for you to be confounded and worry and fret for tomorrow. And he tells us that it does no good to do that because is it going to prolong our lives? Is it going to make that thing go away? Or ease that trouble and that pain? It does not. We have to learn, and it, it's not an easy thing because we've, we've been brought up in a world where we can fix everything. And here's a, here's a difficulty that I have because of, uh, in Native heritage, in my culture, and, and where I've come from is that, and it's a bit hard for me because The name is given of the character of the person. Um, I tend to be a bit of a prankster and, and I like to joke and kind of tease a little bit, but I always want to fix things. I always want everything to be okay. I want to be able to take care of things. And this difficulty that my acquaintance is dealing with it's very hard for me because I can't fix it. I can't make it go away. But I can pray. I can stay in prayer. I can give that. I can make that happen. And then the Lord in his timing and his show and may change and use this very thing to draw this person to him
and change this person's heart. And this is, can be used for that. So I have to give this up to the Lord. The Lord is the fixer, not me. But sometimes, honestly, it's hard because I want to fix things. I want things to be right. I want it to be good. And somewhat like Peter did with the man at the gate, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I over to thee. And and that is my prayer. That is my faith in God that I pray over this person. That's all I can do. And that is a fix. They might not see it right away. I might not see it right away. But remember this. Everything is in God's timing. Pardon me as I sip my coffee. Here's the other thing too. We talked about this person before. We talked about what he was. Now, when Stephen was preaching, it's really, um, <laughs> it, it amazes me how, and, and I look around in this country and I see it happening now, and I see, I see certain government officials that really get agitated by truth being told. And it, uh, it's apparent in my daily walk and my work is that people don't like to hear truth. For some reason, truth just, it's like a, a nut button. You push that button to tell or share the truth or speak the truth, and they really get agitated. Very, very annoyed by the truth. Now, the Jews that stoned Stephen really got agitated. So, as you go to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, Stephen is preaching. And he's really laying it on him pretty hard. He's speaking the truth. But these arrogant, arrogant individuals are just, wow. And what they didn't like is the absolute truth. Uh, we can see that he's really getting heavy-handed in this um, in this sermon. He's giving you can you can see in Acts seven forty eight. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? Saith the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? 
Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Now, you don't think that's getting heavy-handed right there? They don't believe God who created all things, and they build these fabulous temples, and they declare all these things that they built by their hands, in their vanity, in their arrogance, and only certain people can come in. This goes all the way back to when Jesus trashed the temple and threw out the money changers. Why did he do that? Some people don't understand. Well, I'll tell you why, and I'll share that with you, because the scripture tells us so. You read that and pay attention. Jesus cast them out like that because they were cheating and stealing not only from God, but from the people that came to worship him. They were telling people that they picked out their sacrifice to bring and be blessed and given as a burnt offering and a sacrifice as was required by the old law, which Jesus, of course, set aside when he was crucified. But because they at the temple decided that it wasn't acceptable, they had to trade their animal for a one that had already been blessed uh, beforehand. This, this, this is so insane. So they have all these animals that they're holding at the temple and they're telling person after person after person, family after family after, oh, this isn't good enough. You have to take one of ours. And then what they do is they make an exchange, but then they charge a tax or a fee to make that exchange. It's just like when you go into the uh, the money changer in the bank and you're going to make an exchange because you're going on vacation to some other country and you want their currency. Well, they make you a trade of the currency, but they charge you a fee for doing so. Nobody gripes about that. But at God's house, when people come to worship God, that would be tantamount to churches in this day on taking your money and charging a fee to take it because they tell you that it's not the right currency to go into the offering box. And they give you their money for the church has got the little insignia stamp on it. And that's the only money that they'll take. But they'll take your money and a fee for changing it. Same thing that they were doing then. So that angered the Lord. And they were also changing the money now that we bring that up because they were telling people that their money had to be changed to temple money. And they were charging them a fee to do that. So they were taking not only their money, they were charging them to take their money from them 
They were indeed thieves and liars, and they were stealing from both sides. And you had those who were in leadership of the church that got upset about it because they were making a tidy sum of money from these thieves and liars that had set up shop in the courtyard of the church with their permission. It angered the Lord, and he turned over their tables and he scourged them out of the courtyard of the church. You have made my father's house a den of thieves, and he chased them out. He didn't whip them nearly like they beat him nearly almost to death, but he was... He would use that scourge on them and he was chasing them out like herding animals. Tossed over everything that they had. Well, this this angered the Jewry who were in charge, the, the members of the, the Sanhedrin and the uh, authorities of the church there at the time and angered them because they were making a tidy sum of money. And it upset them. So they went after the Lord. Further reading 753. After calling them betrayers and murderers, which indeed they were, who have received the law by the dispensation, sorry, (laughs) completely wrong word, by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died from this plane of existence. Passed from this plane of existence, he went to sleep. What did he do that's reminiscent of another full of the Holy Ghost and full of Spirit of the Lord. Jesus being crucified after being beaten nearly to death could could barely make it on his own without carrying the cross to Golgotha to be placed on that cross, to be nailed to that cross. You have to understand something here too. Let's let's go back to Roman history. Jesus being crucified was not the norm as 
it was in Rome. People were crucified. They were indeed, and they were, they were bound. They were tied to the cross, and there was a platform placed under their feet, and was the custom at the time that they would have this so that they could, they could hold themselves up and draw breath and breathe. And, and what this did was, it was very agonizing. And uh, the Romans liked to perfect everything that they put their hands on. And this tool that they used prolonged the agony of the person that was being crucified. And then at the end of the due course of time that this person was supposed to be hanging there, they would go and they would check on him. And some were crucified for a certain amount of time and were, were cut down and, and released. And they, had, they, didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to go through any part of that again. But most of the time when a person was assigned to the cross to die, they were left there. And then those who were on post in the evening or in the even when it was time for them to finalize, they would go and they would break the legs so that they couldn't push up and breathe. And that's what that platform under their feet was for. What was different with our Lord is that he was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. That was not a common practice for the Romans. They nailed him to the cross. And in the even time when the Roman sentry was going around to check and was about to break the legs. And he, <laughs> our Lord was not pushing up on a platform under his feet. He was being held by spikes through his feet. And the sentry was coming to break his bones. He was going to come and shatter the shin bones that a normal person would be pushing up on to keep breathing didn't do so because he looked and he saw that Jesus had indeed given up the ghost. He gave up his spirit on his own. But there was a final wound that this sentry to make sure and he pierced his side with a sword. And the fluid came from the Lord's heart. And here's the thing that the Bible tells us about the crucifixion is that there were actually many the Romans that were around and saw these things happening and knew and believed that they were a miracle and that he was indeed, is indeed, the Son of God, and believed on him. The centurion, who had authority over all these soldiers, 
believed and testified to that fact and believed that he indeed is the Son of God. Believe that fact. Soldiers repented. Jesus looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he is being stoned to death, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He was saying, God, forgive them. They're killing me. They're stoning me to death. But forgive Saul was consenting unto his death. And during that time, the Jews took up a great persecution against the church. That was at Jerusalem. And all the believers throughout Judea and Samaria were persecuted in the church and they were being hunted down and chasing those who believed. But those believers, they were, had to be brave. They took him and they took him to his burial. They weren't just going to leave him out there and so they took him. Now Saul, at the time, wreaked havoc of the church. Knocking down the doors on houses. Taking men and women and taking them to prison. So those that were scattered out and around, they they kept preaching. They kept preaching. But they were scattered out about. Saul did these things. And then, of course, we know the rest of the story. And that story is that on the road to Damascus, And on the road to Damascus, we find that in chapter 9. He was heading toward Damascus. And he was angry and upset. And remember, Saul had been hired not only by the Romans because they had an issue going on because it was disrupting their political 
agenda. But you have the Jews, the arrogant Jews, who were in charge of the synagogue and the temple. They didn't appreciate the truth. They didn't like it when Jesus spoke it, so they crucified him. They didn't like it when Stephen spoke it, so they stoned him. And they didn't like it when the apostles were preaching the truth, so they chased them around and tried to hunt them down and, and kill them. So they were scattered everywhere. Uh, had this seemed to just have this problem with truth. With truth. And the scripture tells us that he was threatening and chasing him down and and he was actually killing the disciples. Now Saul this is this is so I just find it really, really pretty insane because without mentioning the affiliation that would be tantamount to somebody going to the highest representative of the church and getting letters of permission from them to go do this thing and here it says in the bible see i'm trying not to offend anyone because i know how easy it is for people to do that they get their knickers all twisted up and knotted up so they can't sit comfortably and then they get agitated and they want to get all up in people's face and holler and scream. So cautionary statements because I don't want to mention any <clears throat> I don't want to mention certain religious affiliations because I know that it will just get people get them all in a dander and then they'll just be not wanting to listen anymore. I don't want to chase anyone away. And that's okay, though. Because, see, you have a choice. You either hear the truth, which I share, which is the truth and only the truth. I don't make this stuff up. You know what? I'm going to step into that anyway. I am. Because here's the deal. You have a choice. If you don't want to listen anymore and you want to get offended by things that I share, fine. Guess what? I've shared it with you before. I'm going to share it with you now. I don't care. Not in a hurtful way, but I don't care because my validation from you is not of import. My validation is from the truth, the knowledge, and the word of God, and that's where my validation comes from. I speak to you the truth, period. So that would be what I'm sharing here is going to be the same as somebody going to the Pope or going to, um, who's this, uh, the big head guy of the Mormon church, some big religious affiliate and getting letters of passage from them to go and do certain things that were not good, that were basically letters from them saying it's okay to come and uh, kill individuals. Kind of like they did with the Inquisition. Of course, some of you might not recall that part of history, but it was an historical event. And... uh, It's factual. It's truth. But coming in and persecuting, taking and dragging them aside and killing them because they didn't believe exactly the same way you did. 
But anyway, let's get back to uh, Acts. So, Saul Saul desired to have letters of permission and he was heading to Damascus to go to the synagogues and if he found any of this way and see this was this was a this is what they used to call before they took up the name Christian they were in the way and the way not being blocking passage but it was called the way and the way was what the way was the walk of the lord the teaching of the lord and the holy spirit that was the way and that's what they were called it used to be called the way whether they were men or women he might bring them bound unto jerusalem and as he journeyed he came near damascus and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven and he fell to the ground, fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and he did not eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire to the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that is the preamble into what many know as the, or uh, the rest of the story that we can find through Acts that talk about what he did. And he was gone to churches and they knew by his reputation who he was or what he was about. But see, therein lies the operative word, what he was and what he was about. And they were frightened. And they were, in biblical terms, sore afraid. 
Interesting that it's worded that way. Sore, afraid. And some people just say, oh, that's another way that they were talking about being so frightened. And No, they were sore, afraid. They were so afraid that it caused them shaking. They were, they were pained and they were sore, afraid. Now, remember what I've shared with you, brothers and sisters, that God doesn't mind if we're afraid, but when you become this way, or that way, it drives you to react and to act in ways that you normally wouldn't act. God doesn't mind fear. He doesn't want you to be fearful because when you become fearful, then you're driven by the white noise interference by the minions of hell, those that work for the devil and carry his word and his testimony and his untruth. And that, brothers and sisters, is the truth. Do not be so fearful that you're allowing the white noise interference to drive you. Do not be so anxious that the white noise interference comes and drives you. This acquaintance that I was sharing with you earlier, I'm not going to give up prayer, and I won't back off of that, and I continue to pray every day. <clears throat> she is added into um, uh, this prayer for my brothers and my sisters that I do that that they would be strong and upright and bold. And it's not easy to be. I, I'm telling you right now that I get afraid of certain things. And there's, you know, I have been, uh, I've been without my modus operandi for transportation for some time. And uh, I get a little anxious. But you know what? It doesn't do any good to be anxious. And as it's, as Paul writes in the book of Philippians, it says, uh, the wording that is used when it's translated says, be careful for nothing. And what that means is be anxious for nothing. And it doesn't do any good for us to worry. Jesus was teaching us, and he told the disciples that were physically there with him, says, don't think about and worry about and fret about tomorrow because what does it do for you to be anxious and upset and worry and, and wonder about tomorrow? Is it going to add any more to your life? Any more time? Are you going to add an hour to be fretting about this thing? And this is a lesson that we have to learn. We have to learn not to go in. See, God gave us an ability that are not, that is not in, uh, and the other creations or the other parts of creation and manifestation is that he gave us the ability to pre-plan to make contingencies for things that have not yet arrived or taken place. The problem that we create, see God, God gave us that and was actually a gift. But what happens to these gifts that God creates? They all get twisted, they all get manipulated, and they get turned around because arrogant mammon decides that they know better. So, you get this agenda and you get your calendar so full of, pardon my French vernacular, crap, 
Yeah, that was pretty blatant, wasn't it? We get these calendars pre-planned, pre-filled, pre-this and that. You get it so full of junk. And there are people, I've been acquainted with some people that are, <laughs> used to be like this. I don't even know if they're so alive. I, I don't know. But when they left to go somewhere with their families on vacation, oh my gosh, the agenda for that was so full of stuff. It was a time to spend with the family, be on vacation, and rest away from all that planning and all that stuff that you were doing for work, but yet you take it with you because you pre-planned the vacation trip. We're going to go here, we're going to go to there. This time we're going to do this. At this time we're going to do that. At this time we're going to have lunch. At this time we're going to have supper. At this time we're going to have breakfast. And everybody has to get up at a certain time. Everybody has to get up to get the day started. Wow. That's kind of sad, actually. You get you get so wound up in these things that are coming. But in doing that, how much time are you actually saving? Are you saving any time? Are you being adding any more time to your life as Jesus was telling the telling us, sharing with the disciples who were physically there with him at the time? Are you adding any minute to your life? Are you adding any hours to your day in being anxious over all this stuff? Caring so deeply about all this stuff? And here's, here, this is, tomorrow is not promised. Why fret about it and become so anxious about it that you have an upset stomach, that you can't sleep at night, and that you're so concerned and that your hours become so absorbed in working, and that's all you're doing. You're not taking any time to get any true rest and you're so full of anxious attitude about work and what you have to do in order to keep this and that and this and that and this and that and I'll be honest I'm 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 really sad for this person um, but the only thing that I can do is is stay in prayer and just seek God's guidance and help and peace for their heart you know this, um, unfortunately, from what I see and from what I, I've heard is that basically on their own. And um, it's pretty unfortunate, actually. And that's the way they feel. They feel alone. They don't feel any support. And I just pray for a calming peace to come into the house. I mean, especially with with the animals and things. I mean, uh, I know that there's a love for them, a desire to do the right thing for them, but feeling that some that sensation of feeling trapped. And here I'm going to take a minute, and then I'm going to close this. And I don't want to harp on this because I don't want them to get all in case they're listening or take a listen. I don't want them to get all. Get their knickers in a twist. But here's the thing. Just like when the spies went into the land of Canaan 
And this, this is an example that we have to take because it is not only for when they went in to spy out the land and the promises that God gave. This is what we do in our daily walk, in our daily life. We do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. You say, oh, no, that's different. No, it's not different. It's exactly what we do. We see these troubles ourselves and we portray them to be much greater than what they are. Instead of releasing and letting go, we hold on and squeeze as tight as we can. What was it that that first negative spy came back when Joshua and Caleb said, yes, let's go, we can do this. Oh, no, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. The land was filled with giants. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And then they started the rest of the negative report. So then what happened? The nation of Israel took up that chant. No, 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 we can't. No, no, God can't. No, 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 we can't. No, no, God can't. After just promising that he could and that he would. So they wandered around for 40 years. But God still took care of them. Their clothes didn't become threadbare. Their shoes didn't need to be repaired. And he brought them food. And what did they do when God fed them? They complained about the food that he brought. Oh, for crying out loud. We do the same exact thing. Well, that's all you have? It's just pulled pork and barbecued and side of mash and corn in the cup? That's all you have? Oh, man. And there's some that don't have anything. This land is so full of arrogance. Complain to God about everything that he provides and he does. And through my life, I come to see these things. And I love, I love the mantra that some yahoos pick up. I mean, for some reason, I, I see that it's applicable. But then when you talk about how gluttonous and how uh, overusing, overtaxing, and how wasteful this country is. <laughs> I have seen more waste in this country than in all the lands that I've traveled. And then, of course, you're going to get those arrogant individuals. Well, you don't like it, leave it. Well, <clears throat> get over yourselves because here's the thing. This country is full of that waste. We throw away so much stuff. The nation of Israel threw away the land of milk and honey that was promised them because God promised he'd give it to them. We push up these little... Uh, when Jesus was talking about uh, grain the size of a mustard seed and you tell this mountain to be cast in the sea, I believe that Jesus was using both an analogy and... Uh, Oh, shoot. That other word just went right out of my mind. He was using allegory. Came back. The allegory and the analogy in time when he was talking about uh, the mountains being cast into the sea. Not that God couldn't do it if it warranted being done and he felt that it was a prudent thing to do. And it was in his will, and he would take a mountain. He would take Mount Everest, and he would toss it in the ocean if it needed to be done. And it was required, and it was 
as well to do so. But what I believe that Jesus is talking about are the mountains that we push up that get in our way and hinder our travel because we made them. We push them up. And I've shared this before with you, those little molehills that we could actually either step on or step over and just keep on trucking. We make them such an issue that they become larger and larger and larger and larger. And pretty soon we're whining and wanking and crying about, man, I can't climb that. I can't get around it. It's going to take me forever to get around it. Look what, look what I've done. But we don't say that. We look and say, look at this mountain that's in my way. Oh, God, take this mountain and cash in the sea. Well, by faith, he would do so. You push it up there, but he would get it out of your way. Come to him and present that issue in faith and believe it to be gone. And it will be gone. Shouldn't have pushed it up there to begin with. But it happens. And God loves you so much, he'll take care of it. He loved his people so much and the chosen ones that they were, but they were so full of themselves and so full of self-pity, self-righteousness and these things. And it was that thing, self, 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 just like the Sanhedrin. They were so full of themselves that they turned against Jesus and they called him a blasphemer and they crucified him. Yet he was the truth, the word of God standing before them, but they were so full of themselves, they didn't believe him. And yet, what did, what did he do? He looked down on the cross just before he gave up the spirit. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he spoke out loud. And here's, here's the thing too, is that he didn't just give up the ghost. He was in accordance with Father God Almighty who sent him to be the sacrificial lamb. And God saw him so full of the sins of the world and couldn't tolerate it and stand it that he turned his back to his son momentarily. Which is when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? He turned his back and Jesus felt it. He turned his back because he had taken all the sins of the world while they were yet at enmity with him. And he came and he sacrificed and he died for that reason. And he said, my God, my God. It is finished. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. So they didn't break his bones. They pierced his side to confirm his death. It didn't break his bones because the prophets said in the Bible, again, another prophecy that came true, but the Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisees and those who thought themselves so high and mighty didn't get it. His bones were not broken. And then even after his death, what did he do? They conspired, not only with Roman guards and temple guards, but the Herodians. Who were the Herodians? They were the special entourage that came from Herod, who they despised 
And they were at odds with the Romans. They were at odds with the Jewry who were in charge of the synagogues. And they were working for a Herod who pretty much everybody hated and cut off the head of John the baptizer. So here are these three armed groups that get together and the Sanhedrin get together and they say, okay, here's the deal. After the body was gone and they couldn't find it, they conspired together, all of them and said, okay, here's the deal. All of you were there. You're going to say that the apostles came and stole the body. And they didn't do any physical or math to figure this out, that the stone that was put over the front of that tomb probably weighed maybe a couple tons, possibly if not more. And there was a special mechanism, mechanization that was built into the earth and things around there so that it could be rolled and set in place and wedged. You had 12 disciples and women. And they were going to come and they were going to roll the stone a couple tons in weight out of the way and toss it over to the side like they did. So if you remember that that the more detailed writings said that the the stone was not just rolled away out of the way, but that it was laying in a field beside the tomb and there was an angel sitting on it. Now, you have to understand that that stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so that people could see in and give testimony to the fact that he was not there. So, he came and he delivered. Forgave and forgives. You just have to believe, say, I do, I will, let's go. I do believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. I will have faith in you, Father God. Holy Spirit, guide my steps, let's go. I pray for you daily, and you are in my prayers for strength, boldness, courage, and uprightness to share his word, to show out that thing that he's given to us. Be blessed, be strong. And if you're just hearing and you want and you desire, all you have to do is just say, I do, I will, let's go. Very easy to do. You don't have to have a great big parade and uh sounding horns and drums and all that. You can do this by yourself at home or find somebody that you would like to pray with you. Father God in heaven, I want to have faith in you. I believe that Jesus came for me. I believe that he came and sacrificed his life from my life so that I could have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with you, with him, with my loved ones. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all it takes. That's all that takes. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. Doesn't have to be this big fanfare and this 
pomp and circumstance. You can do it on your own, in your house, or someone that you trust to pray with you. And it's a promised thing. Be blessed. Have a good day. You're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in?